So, you know, we ended up having to lay off the team. We had a team of eight. Surprisingly, everyone was very supportive. I think we kind of got a lot of respect to actually to go up to them and say that this is not going to work and kind of own up to that. Hello and welcome back to Indie Bytes, the podcast where I bring you stories of fellow indie hackers in 15 minutes or less. Today I'm joined by McGill Davis and Will Goto, who are the founders of Rise, a time tracking platform that helps you increase your productivity, started in August 2020. Will and McGill met at a company called Peer, which then got acquired by Twitter. They then left Twitter and founded a company called Humbledot. They raised money for that, but unfortunately they had to shut it down. In this episode, we talk about how they work together both as technical co-founders, why they had to shut down that first business, and increasing their runway using an AppSumo deal. Now, given the fact both these founders are technical, they sometimes have to outsource the skills they don't have. This could be marketing or design. But where do you go when you want to find this talent? Well, if you're looking for design talent specifically, I have the place for you. Figura offers the best vetted product designers and contractors to give you a hand. And founder Dennis is still giving IndieBite listeners that absurd deal to start you off. If you use the code INDIE199, you can get $199 off of your first project for free. So go show Figura some love, head to figura.digital or hit the link in the show notes. Let's get into this episode. Will, McGill, welcome to the pod. Thank you for having us. Excited to be here. So just so people know, you first heard Will and then you heard McGill. So try and remember <laughs> those voices. Now you guys met at a company called Peer. Peer got acquired by Twitter. Did you then mm-hmm. go on to work at Twitter? Yeah, we were at Twitter for about a year and a quarter. I mean, I think you're entrepreneurs, founders through and through. What made you leave Twitter to go and start Humbledot? And was this sort of a big grand plan for you to raise money? And this was the big hit that you're going to have as an entrepreneur? When Twitter acquired us, actually, we were split to two different teams. Will was working on Periscope and I was working on the core Twitter product. But we just continued to get lunch every day. And Twitter had acquired this company, Peer, which was sort of a HR feedback tool. And we had worked together on Peer really closely and developed a close friendship. And Twitter, very quickly after acquiring the company, they shut the product down. And just, we felt like there was an opportunity that maybe a variation of Peer that could still succeed. And so after about a year, we was like, you know what, why don't we just build this? Do you want to just work on this on the weekend and get a, like a first iteration of this done? And we spent about a couple months just working on weeknights and weekends and we launched it. It started getting some traction. And so I think we didn't have a grand plan of raising money before that. But once we started seeing people use the product and really thinking about the opportunity is we met with some investors and there was a lot of interest and we, we left Twitter and, and raised a, a small pre-seed round. Mm-hmm. Okay, so side project turned main project because VCs basically gave the opportunity. Now, I've just spoken to you and found out something quite interesting because usually when co-founders come together, you've got people that have got different skill sets that that complement each other. You'll have a marketer and a developer. That's your typical Mm -hmm. one. But you're both technical. Mm -hmm. How, How does that work for you? Is it just you have to hire when you do marketing? Yeah, so... I'm primarily a front-end engineer, uh, and I focus on design and UI, but I do also a little bit of back-end work as well. And McGill is kind of the counter to me where he does most of the back-end work, and, but also can do a little bit of the UI as well. But our skills complement each other very well in the technical world. And so when it comes to developing the product, we are amazingly fast. But when it comes to marketing or you know working on 
things that are sort of out, outside of our wheelhouse, we tend to hire agencies to do those for us, or at least initially. And I'd say, even though maybe our skill set on the surface looks similar, I think there's a lot of ways that we balance each other in, in other aspects. I like to think like Will probably has a little more of like that calm, collected, you know, personality. And I'm sort of the one that's running around, like getting super excited about everything, ready to dive head first. And I think that push and pull is actually for the strength of the company. Yeah. So it seems like in having skills that complement each other, which you kind of do with front end, back end, it's more personality traits that complement each other, which is actually a nice and different way to look at it. If someone's struggling to find a founder, maybe you mm -hmm. find someone that has a bit of a balance that way. So it talks to me about shutting down Humboldt because the, uh, what made you make that decision? Did, was it hard to tell investors that it was happening? Like it was tough. I, I think actually making the decision was pretty easy, but actually executing the decision was the tough part. I think for us towards the tail end of Humboldt's life, basically there was no sort of outcome that would that would have us be in a position where we'd be able to raise a series A with the amount of money that we were spending. So, you know, we ended up having to lay off the team. We had a team of eight. We had to go tell our investors that our financial planning is not going to work. And surprisingly, everyone was very supportive. I think our initial impression was that the investors were going to be mad at us, for, for example, or, you know, severely disappointed. I think we kind of got a lot of respect actually for, from them just, you know, to, to go up to them and say that this is not going to work and kind of own up to that. Yeah. So let's talk life after Humboldt then. You set out to start Rise. Was Rise something that had been bubbling away in the background and you officially started together? You choose to, chose to bootstrap this at the start, right? Yeah, we, we had been, we started searching for a new kind of idea. And I think with, with Rise, it, was, it wasn't something we had thought much about before Humboldt, but it was sort of something where we sort of had a, almost a eureka moment when we were talking about this, where it's like, we understood that work was so important to both of us. And we also, we realized that we track so much of our sleep of like our, our exercise, right? But we had no insight into how much time we were spending working, or if we were getting enough focus time, how our, what our time breakdown was. And we sort of felt that this was a product that we really wanted to see for our, for our own sake, personally. And we also created a landing page with these, with these value props and ran some ads against it before we built anything because we wanted to see, is there, are we alone in this desire? Mm. To, and um, we saw a bunch of signups from that. Great way of doing it. Putting up a landing page, explaining the value prop, running some ads to it and seeing if you get much interest or bite instead of if you'd spent six, eight, ten months building product yeah. and then launching it to the world and then seeing if people actually wanted it and um, it's quite a broad thing to how, like how did you position it because productivity time tracking could literally be for anyone yeah so we actually initially focused on software engineers mm. because that's that's what we did primarily we we picked software engineers because that's what we were so we knew the market best because we were the market. And the, I think the other angle that we took was time tracking for productivity's yeah. sake and self-improvement. Whereas when you think of the time tracking space, there's so many time trackers and that's true. But when you look at them, most of them are built for billable hours. They're for project tracking. But when you actually get into what are the time trackers out there that help you be more productive, right? We, we were kind of surprised to not see many 
let's talk about a little bit of growth with with rice so you built this landing page you got uh, a few people signed up how long was it until you sort of built the product and then how did you get those users was it still ads product hunt launch taught me all those things really quickly it was actually really nice because we started building the product and within a month we had a very very crappy mvp but we started reaching out in batches of 10 to people that had signed up to the waitlist mm. to be beta users and so we started just adding basically 10 every couple of weeks as we built the product and we did that for about six months until february of 2021 and then we soft launch we felt i think we both yeah. felt the product wasn't good enough but you know what they say if you feel good about the product when you launch you've waited too long so yeah we just opened up a website and we allowed people to start downloading the app in february and we ran some more ads that time small with very small amount of budget but we ended up getting our first like 10 customers in february and then in march we launched on app sumo which we had zero expectation around as well like i mentioned and ended up being really s successful AppSumo was kind of a blessing for us. So the way AppSumo works, it's you you pay for a lifetime subscription and it's a one-time fee and you basically get to use a product forever. We we did this knowing that we were leaving money on the table, but what was nice is that people were paying for your product up front. So it was uh, maybe a hundred or $120. And for us was really helpful because we could reinvest that into ads or other growth channels that we wanted to test out. And if, if we were to try to collect that money, you know, on a month by month basis, it would take us a lot longer to get that amount of cash flow. The other great thing about AppSumo was it allowed us to build a user base from that February of 2021 until we yeah. launched on Product Hunt in May. And that's, I think, key for Product Hunt because we that that launch fundamentally changed the company. We got number one on Product Hunt in May. We had that like thousands of people sign up from that. And it really gave us a huge MRR boost, actually, because we had now users finding out about us other than AppSumo. But I don't think we would have gotten that number one without our AppSumo users, because we were able to leverage that user base that already loved the product and had been using it, send out the email saying we launched. And that really gave us that boost that you need. Hey there, it's James from The Edit. If you're enjoying this conversation with Will and McGill, there's an extended 40-minute conversation available for IndieBytes members. It's $60 a year and you get an access to a backlog of extended episodes. Head to IndieBytes.com slash membership to subscribe or tap the link I've popped in the show notes for you. Let's move on to something I want to quickly talk about, which is bootstrapping versus raising. Because after HumbleDot, you guys decided not to raise for Rise. You wanted to bootstrap it. You did bootstrap it up until more recently where you have decided to raise. Why did you decide to bootstrap and then why did you raise? The primary reason for us bootstrapping was essentially optionality. So whenever you take money from investors, you're kind of jumping onto this journey that you can't return from. You're sort of expected to grow at certain rates and you're given, you know, X amount of money to, to grow, you know, X times number of users or MRR or whatever the metric is. And you can't reverse that decision. So by staying bootstrapped earlier, we allowed us to defer that decision to take BC money. And the, the main reason why you would take BC money is if your business specifically fits for the VC hypergrowth model. So when we initially started working on Rise, we were like, we weren't sure if Rise would actually be that type of company. So for us, we had to kind of learn more about Rise, more about the market, how much they're willing to pay for the product before we could say, hey, this is something that is venture scalable. If your company is not a good fit or your market's not a good fit for hyper growth and you go raise money, 
you are not going to have a good time because you will not be able to hit those growth targets, right? And we were not sure about that with Rise. I think how that changed was after we started building this, we started to notice that Rise was being really important for a lot of people in the middle of this massive shift that we're experiencing in the mm. way people work. You know, it, we felt like if we could provide that value to more people, this could be an extremely big company. Okay, so you guys are on it with productivity. I'm interested in productivity and focus because it's something I really struggle with. It's something that a lot of people want to get better at. I mean, it's part of the reason people get right. I'm intrigued. Are there any resources, other tools you use, routines you have that help help you stay focused? I write a lot. So I use an app called Obsidian. Hmm. And at the beginning of, of every day, I will write down what I will want to accomplish for the day. So I'll say I do, I want to do one, two, and three. And I think that sets me into, into a headspace where I can just focus on those three things, right? If you get those three done and you only focus on those throughout the day, you'll feel much better about yourself. Personally, some other tactics that I've learned and started using with Rise that I find really helpful are also time boxing. So time boxing is where you basically schedule out how you're going to spend your day. Yeah. And particularly around focus time, I've noticed like, and this pairs with what Will was saying about setting those intentions for the day, but I'll time box out like, okay, I'm going to focus from nine to 11 and then I'm going to write this task and taking those two minutes just to sort of plan what you're going to work on this day and, and when for me has been really helpful as well. It's a really good tactic. But I think the most important thing for your productivity is just the fundamentals. It's like, if you want to be productive, better than time boxing or note taking or anything, it's just like sleep well, exercise, eat well. And th those are going to, those are the fundamentals. And <laughs> I wish that wasn't the case. But like, you, if you just ha do those well, I think that's going to be the number one, it, most drastic change you can make for your productivity. Good advice. I think the fundamentals are important because everyone, me included, are always looking for hacks and different ways yeah. to yes. get around it, yeah. wondering why they're not focused and they're not doing those fundamentals. They're thinking, what complex system can I put? They'll whip up a Thomas yeah. Frank video and say, oh, which notion system can yeah. I put in to... <laughs> to increase my productivity when I'm only sleeping three hours a day. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's like the 80-20 rule, right? Like the, the fundamentals will get you 80% of the way there. And then you know, yeah. these other hacks and stuff like that is the, the remaining. I end every episode on three recommendations. And in this episode, it's going to be six recommendations. I end on a book, a podcast, and an indie hacker. I'll say the book just because it relates to Rise, is Deep Work by Cal Newport. A book for me would be Atomic Habits by James Clear. So I I, I only listen to history podcasts. I'm a history buff. So uh, The Rest is History is a great one. Revolutions by Mike Duncan is one of my favorites. And his, he also made the History of Rome podcast, which I love as well. And then there's a great podcast called The Age of Napoleon that I've really, really been enjoying about Napoleon. So those are, those are four history podcasts. I'm sorry. I don't really listen to it much anymore, but it definitely helped me out a lot. The Masters of Scale podcast by Reed oh. Hoffman. And then Indie Hacker, Entrepreneur, someone you're inspired by. I'm going to give a shout out to Tony Din. He has like four products now. I, <laughs> Snapper is the most recent one, which is the screenshotter. That is just incredible. For me, there's this guy named Arvid Kahl. He is the author of a book called Zero to Sold. 
Absolutely. Miguel, Will, thank you so much for joining me on this episode of Indie Bites. Awesome. Yep. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to this episode of Indie Buys. All links to everything discussed will be in the show notes as always. A thank you to today's sponsor, Figura, the best place to find designers for your product. And finally, if you have a podcast but editing takes up all of your time, drop me a message and I can help you out. I run an editing service called Podpanda to help you get your time back and fire up your production value. But that's all from me. See you next week.